Hello and welcome to the special Good Friday episode of the St. George's Rod and Soft, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Tales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. This is one of the many digital avenues into the church, the parish of St. George the Martyr, and I am very happy to be a part of it. I am Lindsay Shooters, and I'm joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon, Father Rodney Whiteman. Father Rodney, how are you doing on this this wonderful Cape Town Day, it's really a true well, Cape Town Day. Absolutely beautiful. It calls for hot coffee or cocoa and um, not not too much work. The rain is beautiful. Yeah. But, you know, um, over my experiences of the seasons and the church's calendar during this, the weather this seems to give me the impression that this is the time of of the year which things ought to slow down, Um, Mm. you know, and so I get that impression also from the rhythm of the wondering about this whole thing about rain. Are we meant to go out in it or are we meant to cover ourselves up with it? Why does water make life uncomfortable if we too long in it. So what is this season of rain or the rainy day call us to do? Um, most people's response is we can't really go outside and mess in the rain because, you know, we were taught we were going to get sick and all of that kind of mm. stuff. <laughs> I think rain calls us to slow down. It's like the amber light winking in between, uh, mm. you know. Um, and I think Holy Week gives us that type of rhythm as well. Well, I'm a runner. I haven't been a committed runner for about a year <laughs> now. Uh have a couple of injuries um, now over uh, the last couple of months as well. And obviously had COVID. But running kind of, if you get serious about it, you stop worrying about the weather that much. Um, because the rain is just another part of the elements that you have to face when you when you're out on the road i'm not not scared of little rain also not scared of a little bit of controversy um i published a blog post that that has received quite a few interesting responses um where i cited this podcast and my work on there and it was five five things that i learned about christianity um father you i shared it with you do you have any top-line thoughts? Well, one one of the things I found very exciting uh, in the way that you put it was the fourth point um, around who Jesus is and what he displays. You give a few lines on it, and then suddenly you say next with some dots added to it. And I thought, what is that calling us to do? Everything you think about Jesus is probably wrong. Um, and you call Christianity a political movement with Jesus as a radical freedom fighter opposed to Roman oppression. Next, mm-hmm. and dot, dot, dot. Because I was reading it on the phone, I wasn't sure uh, what I'm supposed to scroll down to because there's a picture in between that and the next number. And then I thought, well, um, a reader like myself, you call me schol- scholastic, I'm not so sure about that, but okay, <laughs> would say, does... He invite me in this point to write what I think about Jesus. That was me kind of um, 
projecting my own understanding because I follow it up with um, the fact that people project their own image of God, um, or at least we create God in our own image. So it was, yeah, it was like, this is my understanding. And then the incompleteness was kind of where you fill in in your own mind what you think it is. So it was kind of a provocative um, portrayal of Jesus. Um, and then just to just to get the, the juices flowing and to kind of say that I won't be swayed on my understanding. Yeah. Do do we have the capacity? Are we created with the capacity to create God? Yes. Why would I have the capacity to create God if there is no God? Now you see, this is why it's important <laughs> that I am an agnostic, identify as agnostic and not as atheist, because if there's scientific evidence to reveal a higher power, a God, then I am on board with it. <laughs> but yeah, until now, there has been none. But but what scientific scientific investigation happens because something stands out already present that is now needing to be investigated. So if we investigate God from a scientific point of view, some years ago, theology was understood to be a scientific um, um, a scientific uh, discipline, devotion. Uh, it was an exploring of faith to try and understand so that we could best proclaim. Uh, so that both the devotion and the proclamation of God is um, is held together. So, for example, what tool then is the tool that has been handed down in history as the 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 the, the evidence of God, uh, uh, the Bible? So now you have people investigating the Bible for historical purposes to um, be able to say, well, did it happen as the Genesis authors put it? Mm. It's the evidence that there was a flood. One needs to understand what the purpose of the text was. Why was the writer's writing? For example, when you wrote this blog, what was your intention? What was, the, what was your, because you start off saying in your blog, I am. Yes. But you don't necessarily go because at the end, you, at the end, you made a very, very interesting comment. If I, if I could, if I understood it correctly. Um, what you, when you explained, I wanted to produce a product that my mother would be able to consume at home. I wanted to mm. do that. What was that product that you wanted to put so that your mother would be able to in, be engaged by it and engage it? Um, mm. The central focus of our conversation in the podcast is exploration of faith. Yeah. But it does not say faith in God specifically. It just mm. says faith. By talking to me, you are exploring, as it were, my faith 
as an individual in God through Jesus Christ and you exploring it with me as a leader of a Christian community mm. in which God is celebrated as the center of our lives. You are broadening and bringing your perspective that um, your, you, 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 you say, I have the capacity to believe, but my belief needs something to help me verify mm. what I'm meant to believe. You're speaking to me and I'm saying I have through creation, through the experience of being in the community of the church and also through the medium of the scripture understood and through my experience in prayer i've understood that god is at the center of life mm. as god is revealed in our lord jesus christ so with um call bot i also say my my departing point is jesus christ because in my my in, in participation in this brings me to the point that Yes, we're exploring that in each human person exists. The question would be, um, because this is what um, Anselm said, faith is my seeking to understand. Mm. That's what he said in terms of the work of theology. Mm. Faith is me seeking to understand who God is, and then who I am. You know, who are we all in this together? Now, I think at the bottom of it all, that's our search. Mm. We are searching for mm. what has always been part of the, the conversation. What are the same central themes? What, what themes shaped our thinking? Mm. Um, either that when we come to our teenagers and says, all of this is a whole lot of nonsense, or yes, I believe. Uh, and therefore, I'm committed to it myself. Mm. So, um, mm. so this is just—it's a broader look at faith. So, so talking about those those moments that, like I'm, so I'm searching for evidence. Um, you have found evidence in certain things. So, like those turning points um, in the passion narrative, there is a defining turning point, and. This time I'm going to read it out of Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. So this is the story of the woman who brings the perfume and treats Jesus to a little bit of pampering. Um, and everyone's like, no, it's expensive perfume. You could have sold it. You could have given it to the poor. And Jesus responds by saying, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Um, then it says, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. What is that turning point? Why does Judas take exception to this particular, like he's obviously had the conversation with the chief priests up until this point, but this is the catalyst now that sets everything in motion. Yeah. 
Very, very interesting. Judas is a very controversial figure because some people treat Judas as if he's to blame for all his wrongdoings. Another would say Judas himself was confused um, and that Judas loved money was one of the comments that was made. So was it the economy that was driving him here? He's, he's, he's wanting not to be poor, but rather be rich. Um, and so betrayal is one way to boost my personal economy um, for, for Judas. So in a way, the author of the story juxtaposes this lady who generously prepares Jesus for his burial without her even knowing that she's doing this. This was her way of showing gratitude to him who had showed gratitude to her. And having, mm. we do know, for example, from our study of this text, that this particular perfume costs a whole year's salary at the time. So it was very, very expensive um, for her to be able to do something of, um, of this to Jesus as a gratitude to him. Perfume mm. um, presented mm. not just, I think, the symbol of, of 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 its own sense of uh, of beauty, I think she was also talking about the beauty that she found in Jesus. But it's her generosity. She didn't think of the cost, mm. but she was doing something out of the generosity of our Jesus. Understood this as saying, he gives voice to a nameless lady. Mm. And to a lady who could not speak for herself. Mm. So she was already acting post-crucifixion. Um, but she may not have known that. Very interestingly, it also juxtaposes Jesus and the poor. Or do we realize that Jesus was saying something about a society that makes and keeps people? And if we can follow him... He can help us address poverty from an angle of the kingdom of God, mm. where there is justice mm. and where poverty is addressed uh, as, as, as it should be. But you have a Judah, a man that suddenly wanted, wanted us to believe that the poor mattered to him. Mm. Mm. Judas mm. didn't fool Jesus at all because betrayal was on his heart. What was the nature of betrayal? Betrayal was an economic benefit for him. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm in two minds here. Like I, I, I think we, we did tread these waters last year as well, where it's, you get two images of Judas here, where one, he is just acting out his role in the whole passion narrative, which has been preordained. Jesus knows what's going to go down, doesn't have any hard feelings. Um, this is supposed to happen. On the other side... You see a man who questions if Jesus' impact on people can get them to give up something so precious that could have been used to enrich their own lives or the lives of others less fortunate. Am I on board with this Jesus idea? Like, am I convinced that this is the Son of God or does he represent a threat to like i for for many reasons i find myself identifying with judas here where 
there are so many people who give their absolute last to the church because they believe there's this transaction that's going to happen where like God is going to bless them. Um, and where it's like, what if there is no God, you know? <laughs> so so I, I do see so, myself so, in this. Did she do this for the blessing or because the blessing came without her doing this? But let's look at that section. Let's juxtapose two things here. Money for the poor and its value and the value of Jesus and the economy of Jesus. Mm. Which is going to be more beneficial to dealing with poverty? Following the Jesus way and finding the ways of the kingdom that can help us address the system that causes poverty or giving the poor people a handout. So this is where I say Judas is wrong. He didn't understand the economy and the value of what Jesus was. Hmm. To conquer a system. In fact, he bought into a system of power that kept people oppressed. And that system's power also existed in money. A benefit for himself. So I think there stands in here a very important point. Because this has always been challenging. The poor you will always have with you. Well, Jesus, yeah, yeah. shouldn't you have said to us that the poor shouldn't be with us anymore? We should not have any poor people. Yeah, the only way you're going to have that is when you buy into my economy. Oh, that's what he assumed because that is what the um, chief priests wanted. Wanted somebody on the inside to betray Jesus because they wanted to shut him up and silence him. But hmm. Jesus is saying, even beyond my hmm. death, this lady's actions already preparing me for my burial. So whatever you still have to do, Judas, and whatever you still have to do, chief priest, she outshines you. Yeah, but I mean, Judas is also quite the the pawn in the in the in the on the chessboard. Yeah, sure. Because without him, the crucifixion doesn't happen. Now, at least, it might happen. No, no, too. no. You see, let's not think of this predetermined thing that you keep throwing up here. Remember, this story is told, and as we read it, we can't read this story based on the assumptions that we know the whole story. Mm. As the story unfolds, was Judas standing only in the place of predetermination that he would be the one who sold Jesus out? Or in the encounter of this whole thing, was Judas also given an opportunity to rethink where he was standing? But what happens if Judas doesn't betray Jesus? Well, so will there always be a Judas? Did it necessarily have to be the Iscariot? I believe so. Do you think that these chiefs priests would have rested if Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, didn't buy into their story? That they wouldn't have gone to look for somebody else? We find not only a betrayal of Jesus in the passion narrative, we find somebody who chose to deny him. Judas goes to chief priests with power and money. Peter enters the courtyard 
where slaves and servants tell, point him out as the one who follows. So Jesus doesn't only face betrayal, he also faces denial. But he told them that they were going to do that. Yeah, but in telling them, was he also giving them an opportunity? Like, for example, you are teaching Liam. Is your son's name Liam? Is that correct? Eh? Adam. Adam, sorry. Adam, you teach your son Adam. He decides what to do with what you've taught him when the situation and, and, and arises. But you've also warned him through what you're telling him that the choice he's going to make, uh, he, he has to determine, but it, both, it has outcomes in both ways. Now, what he does, is that already predetermined? If it is predetermined, why are you giving him advice? Yes, I, I understand that, but this is this is the, the problem with the Bible. It's no, like, it's not the problem with the Bible. It, it's the it's problem our with, problem. No, it's a problem with having an all-knowing God as well, where it's like, dude, you know this is going to happen. This is the script that you have put out. <laughs> no, an all-knowing God does not, does not, I don't think an all-knowing God takes away our sense of choice. That's the Adam and Eve story. There's also what happens in the way we respond to what is coming up. If he knew the outcome, then we would be, if he didn't want that outcome to be the, the case, we would have been robots. But effectively. What do you call that thing? Um, we do with robots. You set up the action of yes. response. Yes. But God didn't make us robots. Judas is not a robot. When I read the story, I ask myself the question, why did Judas not deal with this and say, what am I really, really doing here? He must have weighed all of his options up. But if money drove him, would this be his actions? We still are there. I mean, Jesus, when he called Judas Iscariot, did he call him so that he can be the betrayer? Or did he call him to follow the ways of Jesus? Now, this is the problem because we <laughs> know how the story plays out. So, like, Jesus, uh, Judas is just a narrative. Um, I lost the word now. <laughs> he, he's just there to help the story get. He's, he's he, a he prop. Just, is that what you wanted to say? He's a no, it's, the, it's more than a prop. It, it's an important thing. It helps the narrative move forward. Um, so everything, see, every yeah. major event along the path to the cross has to happen or else you don't have Christianity. I disagree with you totally. Where the problem lies is not the text itself. It's how we read. We read with subjectively. This is a text we, we are called to re read and reread. So, 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 so we need to look at the way we read this text, uh, with, not based on our assumptions, not based on what we understand the outcome to be, but as a narrative unfolding, not just in that time, but in present time. Mm. Because in present time, 
you and I can possibly be the woman who breaks the jaw to wash the feet of Jesus because of what he does for us. And we may be nameless. We may become Judas Iscariot when we face with choices. We may actually be the chief priests. All of these encounter Jesus. The choice they make about him determines the outcome. But is that outcome necessarily known to God? Is God saying, I hope they choose that which will be beneficial rather than that which will lead to destruction for them? So I don't see the script as being the one that is that that gives us this is how you read it. This is the end result. Blah, 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 blah. No, it's an engaging script that says you are now part of this narrative. If you were Judas Iscariot, what do you know about him? Why did he respond in the way that he did? And will you do the same? Uh, I'm still because. Jesus then prays and he's like, if there's anything you can do to take this cup from me, like, please, homie. Um, <laughs> that, right. Like, so there, there, there's evidence of there being a predefined path. Like he told them also that one of that Peter will betray or at least Peter will deny him. One of them will betray him. He told them all of these things. So it's just a narrative playing out and they are they have no they have no autonomy in this. So, so in other words you reading the end of the story back into the narrative but it's a story it's been published it's supposed to be the truth but do you do you read the do you read the narrative the end of the narrative or the assumed end of the narrative back into the narrative as yes. this is the point you wanted to reach well you go back to the garden story was mm. the garden story about ultimately God would decide that you must drink the cup? If that was if that was an official decision that was made, the battle to get there would still have to be understood. Mm. The cup is bitter. Now you see, if the cup was bitter for Jesus, then the cup was bitter for God. Why the silence, the no answering? How do we understand the will of God when we're praying in a crisis and we don't get an answer? Who is this God? Who do we want him to be? No, it's who he is. You see, the, the problem is that, that that's what you said here, is whom we want him to be. But when Moses asked the same question, he said, I am who I am. So what are we crucifying? So in the context of the God, what does? What are we crucifying? Like what are Good we, Friday. What are we crucifying? What, what is the symbol that we are crucifying? If you say that we need to apply it to like these times, um, surely there must be a Messiah figure or at least a, a Jesus replacement. If we can like play different parts, some of us will be Judas, some of us will be the lady. What are we crucifying? We are crucifying. We are seeking to crucify what you are battling with. 
that God cannot be scientifically proven. And the voice that speaks for God, the one who on Palm Sunday is hailed as the one who will save, because that's the disturbing voice which science can't capture. So religion was called upon to silence it through crucifixion. The very life of God displayed in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ was to be broken down and killed. Its lifeblood poured from it and its body stored in a tomb, the tomb sealed and shut as it were the end of the story. So we crucified God. We crucified the revelation of God. We crucified the person of God in his earthly nature because this world doesn't want a God. It wants religion. It wants the law. It wants kingdom. It wants economy. It wants systems. But it doesn't want the God of the world, the creator of the world, who is able to see the darkness in which we are living in by trying to bring the light amidst us for us to, what is the way that we really are supposed to be walking, the way we are to be living. So I think we wanting to kill, silence the voice of God forever and silence the presence of God forever. And we seal God by sealing him in a tomb that we think cannot be shattered. We seal him uh, here on our planet, assumedly that uh, we've now got power over, over this God who says, I am who I am. And then we can't fathom when that voice stands up on the third day, a voice that um, doesn't speak out loudly, but meets people individually. A, sp a voice that says, Mary. Mm. And he's not recognized. Um, a voice that comes into the upper room and he says, peace be with you. Voice that says, I'm breathing the spirit onto you. So I'm coming to give you life, the very power of God, to live for God and proclaim God's not dead. Mm. The world cannot kill God. Even though it wants religion, it cannot kill God. And so that's a challenge to the religious, religious society. Your question is bringing out a theology in me I've never explored. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's, it's. But I'm grateful. I mean, I'm grateful because I'm learning stuff here that I never thought I would actually come to my mind and even say in response to your question. And I think it's an important thing for me. It's really an important discovery I'm making today. I think it's an important discovery for everybody because like like I uh, and and I hate to to refer to my own work um but the the in the blog post that I wrote it was kind of my response to the outcry in the Christian certain corners certain pockets of the Christian of Christian society where they were now 
crucifying this artist who is only wanting to open the way, open the gates for other homosexual, other um, the LGBTQI community who have been oppressed for so long, who have not had voices, and is now at a point in his career where he has the clout to make a statement and for it to be heard and for it to have an impact and for it to maybe inspire others to not maybe make similar because because what 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 struck me the most about it i i don't care much for the song i don't think it's his best song but it has grown on me um but lil nas x his name is actually montero he wrote the song's name is montero he wrote a letter to his 14 year old self where he said the agreement was that we were never going to come out that we were never going to live our lives we were never going to be that type of gay man but he's at a point where he has to be to break the cycle of of oppression within this community so like for me that's an act of crucifixion now and it's like we're heading into easter it's 2021 we've just we kind of emerging from a global pandemic that has shaken our entire society to its core. And we are still wasting energy on trying to silence voices of other human beings who feel differently, who act differently, but are still human. So it like what what are we crucifying? Like what 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 is the value of a system, a belief system that has been bastardized and has been morphed, has evolved into this world controlling power that is harming other human beings. What is the value of that rising again on Sunday? You know, one of the crucial experiences of the cross that I feel uh, in response to what you're saying, mm. is when the stories told of the criminal who had this conversation with Jesus after he rebuked his fellow villain for mocking Jesus along mm. with the other crowds. He obviously, whatever his criminal nature was and his action was, something made him think very seriously about the man hanging next to him. Mm. And so when he asks Jesus a very simple thing, you know, I'm, I'm going to die like you are dying, but mm. all I would hope that you can do for me, because we're not going to go into the same places, w would you just remember me? You know, I hung next to you on the cross. I tried not to show, I, I, I embraced who you are because I knew you were innocent. And, and I'm guilty, I'm totally guilty. So there was a repentance there, mm. an acknowledgement of sin. But I don't deserve to go to what I was taught to be the, the peaceful place. 
But when you get there, will you just remember me? All I ask you is to not forget who I am, mm. who hung next to you. Jesus' response starts with the word truly. Mm. That was the bridge. I, what I'm telling you in response to what you're asking me is the truth. I do not lie to you. Now, Jesus didn't say, you the criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. He said, you will be with me. You're going to be more than a memory. You will be with me. Now, who is the who in the worldly sense? Um, th that person acknowledged his criminality. That was he's the formation through whatever circumstances made, made him choose the way of a criminal. Well, that's what we understand from the story. So through our understanding of ourselves, we may have chosen a good way and, and a bad way. But when you when you think of sexuality, mm. It's very much, I mean, you can unlearn the mind of being a criminal and the action thereof. But how do you unlearn your sexuality? How can you become what you are not sensing in yourself? Mm -hmm. Do I live just by the virtue of somebody saying to me, you're a male because your body tells me that? Mm. We grew up with that thought. But was that not a patriarchal thought mm. to genderize people? Because that was about that was about separation. Patriarchy mm. existed by divide and rule. Mm. So, so if they could they could they could um, keep people in little boxes, then patriarchy could survive. Those people are saying, "Hold it, we we want to be seen as one." in diversity so maybe my skin color is not the same as yours maybe my culture is not the same as yours maybe my gender is not the same as yours maybe my sexuality is not the same as yours but there's a oneness in who we are with these diversities that sometimes we can't even understand they're beyond our control so mm. now mm. i'm hanging next to the one who is totally innocent in his humanity who came mm. to embrace my humanity and i'm asking him yes maybe i don't deserve to be where you are in your innocence. But will you remember me? Just give me a thought. Because the way that I'm going to be thought about after I die is he died as a criminal. The place where we are hanging is the place of the skull Golgotha. People are going to say, boom, boom, boom. That's the record I leave behind. That's my legacy. I'll be remembered as a criminal. But he says, would you remember me? Am I more than my criminality? Mm -hmm. And so am I more than my sexuality? Of course I am. But over criminality, I could have made better choices. But over my, 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 my gender and my sexuality, how do I have control over that? Simply mm -hmm. because my body suggests to some people a particular thing. These are things we don't understand. But what did Jesus say? To a thing that could have been changed in a man's life, Today you will be with me in paradise. Mm. He was a, was paradise.
paradise. And this is a controversy too, because um, there's a there's the, the the understanding of paradise being purgatory. And so what's the difference between purgatory and, and heaven? So we get into that theological um, that, that's uh, Leave that to the Catholics, Father. <laughs> but, 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 but you see the words there says, today you will be with me. That's the operative for me in that text. Mm. Paradise represents a place. Paradise was Eden. Mm. Garden of Eden was paradise. So... Today you will be with me. You hung with me on the cross, though you were the criminal. And I'm the innocent who die because I want to save you. You will be with me. There's a sense of presence there beyond just memory. Mm. Now for me, that is resurrection talk. Mm. That is mercy talk. That's kingdom language. Uh, over systems that could criminalize people, systems that demonize people. Mm. Jesus was creating on the cross a totally new thing. Mm. He was he was instilling, and these words, that conversation was captured, mm. and a story's been told about it. And what a remarkable story. And I said to you, I mean, I'm not saying that the other stations and other parts of the event of the of the way of the cross play a lesser role, but that one stands out for me. Whenever I think about, about all of this, Jesus, remember me. What more can I ask you to do? And you will be with me. Presence. And it's resurrection talk. Um mm. I think we miss the point when we concentrate too much on the word paradise and try to translate it into yeah. other language. I think the operative is you will be with me. Now, that's what our hearts desire. And, and Augustine caught it brilliantly. Lord, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Mm. And the journey on the earth is a restless journey because you, as the opinion, opinion guy says, I believe, but where's the proof to help me to believe deeper? Mm. I say there is already been the evidence. I'm exploring it so that my faith can grow deeper. We both long for the same thing. You are seeking scientific proof of evidence. I'm saying the evidence itself is the proof. Mm. Through creation, the gospel story, the, the historical um, uh, eventuality of the church. Mm. All I'm hearing is that we should crucify and kill all of those negative things that tarnish the journey and rise up as a pure, more enlightened society three days later. Um, I'm going to go to but, your But words. what we did, but what yeah. you, you can't leave it hanging there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can't leave it hanging there. We, we don't separate the one 
who can bring around the new life. Because all of that which we need to crucify, as you've said, is what our humanity has been trapped in. And, and so easy incarnation by embracing our humanity and, and, and being willing to go to the cross to die, even though he was innocent. We need the crucified Christ. We don't just need a crucifixion. We need the yeah. crucified one. It's the only hope we have. So we don't create a system to save us. It's the mm. person of God who saves us. I'm going to go to, in closing on my part, to your words, because um, you, you took somewhat artistic license um, with the Stations of the Cross. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think just just at least from, from my side to, to close of the conversation and just to, to leave a little bit of a tidbit for, for what, what is to come with, with the great Easter celebration. I'm going to go to Station 10, where Jesus is crucified. Golgotha, the place, the place of the skull acclaimed. With bitter wine, they made it worse, but he refused the myth. The clock struck nine, crucified he was. Lots for his garments were cast, and though inscribed upon the cross, king of the Jews, it read, with cursing tongues and mocking hearts, they scolded, save yourself, you who saved others. With shaking heads, they left, went home, and thought he met his end, agreed upon, by abusing villains. And like as a point of reflection, I, I, I think that sums up what happened on the cross quite well. It was the world, as you said, the world has silenced and killed the God that it believes it does not need. And they thought that was the end. Um, Father, if you have any closing remarks and a point of reflection to tide us over until Sunday. Lindsay, thank you very much for a very fruitful discussion and um, and for the this journey of exploration. Um, we are living in a very strange time which your blog mentions our, our need for in-person contact community to give expression to who we are and what we believe, as opposed to the fact that because of restrictions, there are those of us that cannot go because of, of our own uh, health challenges. Um, and so we, have to have to be the mother at home that you spoke about receiving the the reflection of faith mm. you know in the home in maybe all alone i think that that this journey particularly different to the silence of 2020 the uncertainty the you know, where the narrative could not be lived mm. uh, in, in the way that we normally do, but the narrative had to be lived through silence, through, through this anguish of 
um, what, what, what's going to happen to us when people are dying all around us and all of that. 2021's experience has shown us that we have come through parts of that by grace and uh, that there's no doubt in my mind that this is a journey. And in our modern day, we are able to journey with each other even through the media. Mm. And so let us not give up an opportunity to journey with each other. Let's not give up the opportunity of exploring with each other, even if it's for few moments through the media. Mm. Let us not lose a sense of being in person with each other, even if it's over a phone call or a WhatsApp message. Because part of our survival is I am because you are and because God is, which is the theme of our diocese. I go, I go start, I start the other way around. I said, because God is, therefore I am and you are and we are. For me, that's the point of departure for, for, for that. But it just holds together um, um, what, what Jesus, what Jesus before he dies does, therefore, the 14, on the on the 13th station for me is the most valuable thing, sorry, the 12th one, where he restores and roots family and community in the cross and nurtures it by his blood, bringing us together, this unity and community and family in the crucified Jesus. And I think for me, that's the hope I want to bring. Let us not forget that we belong to each other. We belong to God. And that for me is the hope I'm looking forward to, uh, to work on because it's a resurrection hope. It's a Pentecost hope. Mm. And so thank you very much for allowing me to do that. Shall, shall we close with prayer? Um, Certainly. So my brothers and sisters, as we continue our journey with Jesus, recalling the way of the cross and also um, recalling the actual event of the crucifixion, moving on towards the Easter hope of the risen Christ who declared himself to Mary and to us, to Martha and to us as the resurrection and the life, calling us to faith. Let us therefore pray the prayer as he taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you this day and always. Amen. <laughs>